platform listeners, it's Claudia here from Clayview. We've researched 50 UK retailers and found 80% could improve personalised product discovery. Find out how. Download our new e-commerce discovery report at clayview.com forward slash UK report. Hello and welcome back to the Replatform podcast. Thanks as always for tuning in. So it, today it's myself, James, as usual, and my co-host, Paul Rogers. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, not bad. I was just saying before we start recording, I was just having to tune out the screaming of my kids who are obviously embracing homeschooling like there's uh, there's nothing <laughs> I've done before. So it's all good. Great. Okay, so another fun episode for us today. Our topic today is data integration and lifecycle marketing with the Emetria Smart ESP. So we'll break down what that what that means and why we're doing it. So, you know, the context of this is typically businesses have put larger budgets into acquisition than retention, but retaining customers for e-commerce teams is a competitive necessity to help drive things like lifetime value and also monetize that initial acquisition investment. And as e-commerce has continued to grow, and you know, it was amplified in 2020 and continues to 2021 because of the, the current issues around you know, COVID and lockdowns, especially in the UK, consumer expectations around service and experience are becoming more demanding. There's more competition and businesses need to understand how to communicate with customers. Customer experience, uh, uh, customer marketing platforms have increased in popularity over the last few years. Some really good case studies uh, of people using it to do smart engagement. A good example, you know, we're looking, we're talking to Metro today and haven't looked at on built with. If anyone hasn't used it before, it's a great tool to look at um, installations of different technology. There's been a four times uh, growth in the use in the UK of number of websites using this technology. And data is critical to this. So we decided to reach out to the team at Metria to find out how their platform, which in their own words gives marketers the ability to create personalised experiences across the customer journey, how does it really do that? How does the platform work? And we want to e- explore their inbuilt customer data platform that helps to create kind of unified profiles for customers, for e-commerce teams to do kind of smarter and more interesting and exciting uh, uh, user journeys and customer experiences. So let's introduce our guests. So we have James Dunford-Wood, who's the co-founder and chief experience officer, and Toby Carnell, who's a solutions consultant there. Good morning, gents. Good morning. Good morning. How are you both today? Um, pretty good, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you, I have uh, have some kids at home, although they're most of the, most more, more at the university stage, but they haven't not all drifted back yet. So um, I'm sitting currently in my uh, in my cupboard downstairs uh, where I get some space. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, thanks, Joel. So. Could you tell us a bit about what, what you guys do at Ametria first? Because job titles never really tell the full picture. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I guess to start with myself, I, uh, I'm, a, as you mentioned earlier, co-founder. Um, my uh, title is Chief Experience Officer, so I'm principally responsible for ensuring clients get value out of uh, Ametria, uh, responsible for the overall customer experience uh, and also more specifically for and, and part of driving that value is um, a framework we call the methodology so um, helping clients to um, uh, trade uh, trade better using you know getting intelligence out of the data because we are we, we'll talk about in a minute um, we, you know we started life as a data platform um, so helping retailers leverage that data to uh, to trade better to grow revenues to grow um, lifetime value etc is 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 a key part of the value they get from us so i'm overall responsible for 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 that whole process awesome 
And I'm a one of Solutions Consultants at Ametria. So my primary role is to help our new customers understand what's going to be uh, required of them when joining the Ametria family. So what's going to be part of the implementation, what they're going to need to kind of uh, form up prior to integration, ultimately understand what they want to get out of the platform. Um, that's probably our, our key use cases, understanding what the marketing or the CRM team really want to achieve. So ultimately, they are our, our customer at heart. Right. Um, and then I'll ask the first question. So in terms of both the product itself and then also some of the services you offer around it, how does Ametria differ from some of the kind of standard ESPs on the market? Um, well, the, you know, the, the ESP space is an interesting category to be in, really, because traditionally, um, you know, ESP, email service providers, it's been about sending emails, obviously. And and it was a, it was a, it was it's been for many years or has been you know until recently pretty much a sort of batch and blast type industry um and i guess where we differ well first of all there's there's the, in recent years there's been a new generation of providers coming up um which have you know started to 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 do a bit more than just send email um and a lot of these uh legacy i call them legacy esps have have started to sort of retrofit the ability to um ingest and leverage data to personalize their communications in a better way because if you think about it batch and blast you know in the old process of sending a um you know an email to a, a bunch of people you'd, you'd have a list and you know you'd, you'd craft your message you might do a little basic personalization but it was pretty much one size fits all but increasingly um customers uh, demand and require you know, more relevancy, more personalization. So in order to do that, you need the data. So many of these traditional legacy ESPs have started to retrofit that the ability to, uh, to, 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 um, you know, leverage that data in that way to help them personalize um, the communication. So I guess where we differ is um, that we started life as a data platform. We didn't send emails at all when we, when we launched back in 2013. It was all about um, data um, e-commerce data, understanding the customer journey, and, and giving that data back to the to, to to the retailer, to the client. But we very quickly discovered that great great to have the data, but you know you need a way to be able to leverage it um, and to exploit it in the in in a way that that, that can kind of make sense. So we we built an e- the the capability to uh, to send email. As an ESP um, back in uh, in 2016, um, and so I guess you know having data in our DNA means that we are you know we are much better positioned, I guess, to take advantage of of the kind of new trend um, uh, and the way that industry is going towards more personalization and better targeting. Excellent. So let, let's explore that a little bit further because uh, there's probably some people listening who maybe haven't worked on projects where data platforms have been put in. So can you explain how your customer data infrastructure works? Like, like what are we talking about? What is the data platform? What data does it handle? You know, how simple or complex is it set up, et cetera? Let's talk people through that a little bit. Toby, do you want to take that one? Yeah, I can take that one. Um, at the heart, James, uh, we operate in a real-time infrastructure. Um, so what that means is we, we've got a, a, basically a, a vast funnel to be able to ingest data really, really quickly. And what that then does is cascades down into uh, real-time actionable reporting um, and decision-making. We then couple uh, obviously all of the web 
behavioral data that we capture from the website to tie back to a single customer view. What that means is that we're tying back all of the purchases, products, and interactions to a, to a single metria profile to basically create actionable uh, decisions for, for marketing and CRM teams. Excellent. And could you clarify, what, what does unified view mean in, in a metria language? Or, or could we put it into practical terms for an e-commerce team? So what is the advantage of having a unified view versus having what, you know, it's the historical kind of disparate data sources? James, we'll talk about this one, the methodology. Yeah, so um, having, well, you know, we've, we work with retailers. And we've, by the way, we, we are retail specific. So we only work with retailers, which is one of the other big differentiators, I suppose, of Ametria versus other ESPs. Um, having uh, worked with retailers over multiple years, we have, um, you know, seen what best practice looks like. Um, and there are multiple, as you know, multiple data sources. And one of the things that often comes up when we we we, we start talking to a, um, uh, a new client is the the difficulty they have in unifying all those data sources. So they may have you know have transactional data, they have uh, uh, e- email engagement data, they will have browse behavior on the website, and you know which collective our JavaScript and so on and so on. So um, you know part of what we've built is the ability to unify that data into a single customer view. And by doing that, by building a, a single customer profile, um, you know you have a lot, a much richer data set on which to be able to, you know, make an assessment about um, a contact or a customer based, you know, what what typically, what products do they browse or show interest in, what products or categories do they buy from, you know, what time of day would they like to open that email, um, uh, yeah, what geography they're in, all, all kinds of stuff. I mean, multiple ways to 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 be able to analyze as well as segment and, 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 and leverage that data. So the unified view of data we, we, you know, it gets imported into a metro via, um, in some cases via API, and in other cases they can they can they can load data manually. But it's it's the platform we built is is a, is is able to unify all of this data in a consistent way um, into us what we call a single customer view. Great. And um, another question. So you've talked about kind of some of the data sources that people use within Ametria. Um, and most of the implementations I've worked on have been multi-channel. So you've integrated with um, clients' POS systems and kind of pulled in various data from physical stores. Um, what are some of the, yeah, like what are some of the kind of more advanced use cases um, on that side? And what have, like, have you got any examples of like really strong kind of multi-channel single customer view um, case studies from Ametria? Yeah, well, I mean, we have a, we have a number of case studies um, uh, from you know different different verticals. Um, I mean, there's a you know, there's a lot of. I mean, one of the things we 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 allow is quite a lot of flexibility in in um, what kind of data points they want to expose in a metria by using custom fields and um, you know custom custom um, uh, data imports. So. Um, I guess some of the, the more innovative of our of our clients are, for example, um, importing um, data from from loyalty schemes, for example. So you might want to um, leverage the fact that um, particular customers and contacts have have a certain threshold of loyalty points, and, and then perhaps they go into a different loyalty tier. Equally well, you may have um, clients who 
want to um, import review data or I, you know, has, for example, if, 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 if you're sending a survey to somebody, you want to make sure that you send perhaps a different, slightly different flavored survey to people you know are happy with their products and have reviewed products in the past uh, versus people who, you know, and we all get them, people who kind of complain about service. So having, having the, that sort of visibility on the customer profile um, is, uh, is, is very important. And also we can make an assessment based on all of these different data points that come in as to the likelihood of a particular customer or contact performing a certain action. So, you know, we, we have a lot of um, uh, predictive um, uh, capability in the platform to predict when someone might become lapsed or might become at risk of becoming lapsed. Um, and that ties into the whole methodology process that we built around the platform, which is which allows us when a new client joins based on the different data points they give us. And we obviously give us, some, we give them a certain amount of advice about, you know, the best practice of, 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 of how to organize their data in Ametria, but we can give them an assessment, a predictive assessment of, you know, what sort of uplift they might expect by, um, you know, by moving some of the metrics um, such as repeat rate or, you know, um, average gap between orders or, I mean, there's, there's tons and tons of different metrics benchmarks we look at. Right. And um, sorry, I've uh, I'm on, yeah, no. So um, two, two of the things you talked about there link well to my next question. And I guess when uh, some of our clients have implemented Metria, it's been that kind of predictive side of things. And then also the reporting, uh, which have been kind of front of mind, I guess, or some of the things that have kind of pushed them towards Metria. Um, so can you kind of talk us through those in a little bit more detail and then also just talk about any kind of improvements you've made on that side of things um, in 2020? Yeah, do you, I mean, do you want to talk a bit, Toby, about the, um, the 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 infrastructure, and I can talk a bit about the uh, the predictive side. Uh, I think let's just talk about predictive, James. I think for this bit. Yeah. So, so you're talking about how 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 we how how the predictive algorithms work. Is that what you're saying, James? Sorry. Yeah, essentially, um, yeah, kind of how the predictive side of thing in terms of the features that you've got and kind of how you're um, kind of uh, showing this to a customer um, and using kind of predictive um, analytics, essentially, within the platform, okay, uh, so just where that's kind of used across the product. Okay, so to give you a couple of examples, let's talk about, uh, for example, we might have a client who is... Um, sells consumables and they want to assess how uh, often um, a product will be replenished. So we can predict based on um, previous um, kind of purchase behavior of that particular product, you know, when it's likely to need replenishing. So that's a simple example. Of course, you can do that manually, but it takes a lot of time. So, you know, if you can, if you can give a signal to, um, the uh, you know the, the campaign to, to to they might have a replenishment campaign set up to be able to trigger an email at the right point, then obviously that saves them a lot of time and effort. Um, another you know another another way is around predictive lifecycle stages. So um, uh, you know understanding as I say when when a when a customer is likely to become lapsed um, and. Um, uh, you know, then then you're able to trigger a, a, a kind of win back campaign at, the, at, the, at exactly the right point. I mean, we have a lot of you know we 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 have product recommendations in the platform as well, and I guess that's in a way 
you know one of the mo- the more more sort of grand level w- ways in which we we we, we kind of make um, predictions so based on browse behavior and purchase behavior you know what is the what, what are the likely the products that this customer is likely to be interested in and that's that's the sort of base case but you know that's built into everything we do in email um, across the platform um quick question on that so um, you mentioned the product recommendations and um, I think right now it's in um, and we're going to come on to the roadmap later on but is that still limited to within emails or are you doing on-site product recommendations no good question um it it has been limited, but we have uh, recently built out um, on-site product recommendations. So, I suppose the str- our strategy is that the co- well, first of all, because we started in data, we have this wealth of of, of data, and 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 of course that gets rich, it, it gets richer and richer every 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 year that goes on. So, you know, we are in a sense channel agnostic. The fact we started with email was driven by the fact that email is the is is still the biggest communication channel for 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 retailers and e-commerce. So um but you know we there's no reason why we should stick at email. So we built um a di- different additional channels to leverage this data. So SMS, uh, push notifications um and on-site personalization. So so yes knowing what we do about the customer and what sort of audience they might um, belong to, for example, you know, either demographically or based on, on, on um, browse behavior or, or, or um, interest, um, you know, we, we can provide that data for a, uh, a retailer to be able to serve relevant products on a landing page, for example, when, when, when the, um, uh, you know, when the visitor lands. So, so yes, exposing that data for other channels is a very important uh, part of our sort of um, you know the, the direction we're going in. Excellent. Uh, you, you raised an interesting point uh, about the predictive side around um, like targeting lapsed potentially lapsed customers at the right time to do that kind of intervention piece to try and encourage them uh, to continue being an active customer. I'd love to hear uh, share a bit of insights for people is. Is what? How do you get accurate signals to indicate laps in? And I guess where my head's at is, what data points are you being? Are you typically leveraging? Is it around visits, purchases, spend changes? Is it people returning or rebuying? And then the other bit linked into that, just to be a really demanding uh, uh, consultant here, how do you do the omni-channel tie-in? For example, if somebody is suddenly not active on the website and buying, but they've they've been buying in stores. What what are the challenges you find to tie that up and get an accurate picture of what okay. a really is? Yeah, there are there are there are there are two sort of principal questions there. Um, so the signals, so it's, yeah, the signals um, that you look for in terms of lapsed behaviour. I mean, first of all, with a new customer or a new contact, you don't know much about them, right? So you have to make assumptions based on the rest of the population. So you know. When a client arrives with us and as part of the methodology process, we run what we call an order gap analysis to understand the average gap between first and second orders, second and third, third and fourth, fourth and fifth, and so on and so forth. And, and there are some pretty clear patterns that come out at, at different industry verticals. Um, you know, for instance, fashion behaves slightly different to your homewares, which behaves slightly different to the consumables. You know, if, if 
I don't know if you shop with Tesco or Sainsbury or one of those uh, supermarkets, but if you haven't shopped again in, um, if you shop every week and then stop shopping for six weeks, you know, they're likely to think of you as a potentially elapsed customer. Well, it wouldn't be the same in fashion. So these things are different. So you can make an assumption if you don't know much about that contact or customer. And you may predict, if they make one purchase, you may predict they're going to become lapsed in six months' time or in 12 months' time, which is where the rest of the population um, has shown, you know, that they are less likely to come back. So... But as you begin to build up more information on that particular customer um, and their purchase behavior, once they stop twice and three times and four times, you can start to um, uh, kind of adapt their the prediction of when they are likely to um, become lapsed or stop shopping. So it becomes more granular and more sophisticated the more information you have about that particular customer. To your second question, um, and I think that was about um, understanding, yes, where you have patchy data. Was that right? And, and coming in from offline versus online. Yeah, the, the only channel bit where because we're, channel, yeah. we're, we're capricious humans and we can suddenly change our behaviour, uh, you know, on a whim. So somebody who suddenly is is hasn't bought online for quite a while, longer than you know your your standard expectation, but actually they've just bought two times in this store in the last yes, three yes, months. Yes, Probably yes. a bad example in 2021, but, you know, <laughs> that Well, no, no. Uh, well, funnily enough, um, you know, the COVID and 2020 has provided a huge opportunity for, uh, for multi-channel retailers because all their offline shoppers have been forced online um, and they've been able to collect that data because one of the challenges for a, for a multi-channel retailer is their ability or lack of ability to collect data offline. So we are obviously, um, you know, we work with a number of different retailers, uh, omnichannel retailers, some of whom are very efficient and very good at collecting offline data. And you can, you can tell you know, if someone comes online that they've shopped previously offline, what store do they typically shop in? Um, you know, what is their offline um, uh, kind of purchase pattern? And, you know, you you re- when they come online, you recognize them as an existing loyal or repeat customer. Now, other retailers are, are not so good at collecting that data. And in fact, it, you know, they are operating blind in many cases. So you get a customer coming online um, and you, you 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 interpret them as a single time shopper, but actually they have been shopping offline previously. But we the retailer doesn't know that. So a lot of what we do is to help retailers get better at collecting that offline data because unless you do it, you are you know you you have a blind spot. Um, so um, and we have noticed in the last couple of years, you know that whole area has improved tremendously. Um, for example, you know, we, we can pull in data from a POS system. Um, we can, we can, you know, we can help um, omnichannel retailers put, put, put in um, process to be able to, to, to pull in and analyze that data. So um, it has got a lot better. It's not perfect. There are some retailers that, that still have a, a bit of a blind spot. Um, and if they do, then we need to be able to, um, um, you know, uh, help them understand you know, they're, they're, here's an online customer, but you need to be aware that, you know, and then you start running surveys and, you know, have you shopped offline? And there's all kinds of other sort of mitigations yeah. you in place, but it's, it's, it's not as good as actually collecting the data in the first place. And the other, actually the other, the other area where we do a lot of, um, we've made a lot of um, headway is collecting data from, um, from, you know, those receipt platforms. There's a number of them, e-receipts and, and others, which, you know, which is a very good, and clever way of collecting offline data um, um, and, and matching it with what's what's going on online. 
yeah definitely the, the joys of of clean data as well and and especially where where you have things like um loyalty programs which work online and offline and making sure you don't have duplicate accounts for single customers um which is all good fun what one thing is independent consultants me and paul have often talked about this we're often we're we're surprised by how few e-commerce teams have things like proper life cycle marketing programs in place especially like the basics like an activation stream for a first-time buyer so a couple of things number one if you could just clarify to people listening who might not have heard of the term, what lifecycle marketing is, but why do you think there are still so many generic like email and communication programs? Okay. Um, well, lifecycle marketing is all about um, communicating to your customer at the right time with the right message um, when it's they're most likely to engage with it. So, you know, if you think about a batch and blast newsletter, traditional, you know, sending it two, three times a week, uh, hits your inbox, pretty much the same message for everybody. It's not personalized to you. It might show you women's products, you're a bloke or, you know, whatever. Um, so, um, and it doesn't tend to necessarily take into account your propensity to buy um, on sale versus or on promotion versus not, because you don't want to send promotions to people that typically buy full price um, and they're not interested in, in, in sale. So there's all sorts of yeah uh, uh, wrinkles there that you might not be aware of. So there's Batch and Blast um is 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 very um it's a very crude way of marketing so life cycle marketing is the ability to break down the communications in a way that as i say lands with some knowledge inbuilt into that communication of what that customer who that customer is what they like to receive what products are interested in what time of day they like to receive it how much they like to spend all kinds of stuff so um now there's an interesting so so we split um, email marketing as as a, as a, um, a concept between um, what we call automated lifecycle marketing and what we call broadcast marketing. Now you might expect, and I thought this a few years ago, right? I believed that all email was going to go from broadcast to automated, and broadcast wouldn't exist, right? In in five years' time, and it would all be automated. I have, however, changed my mind um, based on some very interesting data analysis we've done, which is that you still need that sort of almost subliminal drip, drip, drip of, of kind of brand engagement in the background to be able to remind people you're still there. The thing about automated and, and triggered marketing um, and, and is that, you know, it relies, quite often relies on, a, on an action by the, the customer. I, they've got to have abandoned a basket or they've made a purchase and then you wait a couple of weeks and send them a follow-up or, but, um, you know, you looking at the data, you get mu- you get better engagement from your automated programs if, in the background, you still have a kind of regular cadence of kind of of. of I'm not I, I don't want to call it batch and blast because it's still personalised. You're still personalising your newsletter and you're giving them the content they're interested in, but it's more content led, less event led. And if you carry, and they may not actually. Um, open all those emails but the fact is it's arriving in their inbox they see the you know they see the brand name yeah they move on they <laughs> they, they open the next email but the fact is it's there in the background and from and, and if they want them to go and visit that retail website they can you know they can easily hop onto an email click through and and visit so it does generate additional engagement which then can be leveraged by the automated um emails that are, that's going on in the other program so 
so yeah so lifecycle marketing is all about right message right time um uh, and um you know both across automation and to a certain extent across um um and you know personalizing newsletters as well yeah excellent um uh, another question related to that is what blockers do you typically find there are for e-commerce teams to buy into lifecycle marketing? And have you got any uh, business cases where you've worked with e-commerce teams to help them counter these blockers? Yeah, well, we do that all the time. Um, the blockers tend to be, um, uh, first of all, resource. So, you know, there are so many hours, there are only so many hours in the day, and many retailers we work with, um, you know, they have. The smaller retailers, like have have very small teams, um, but even the larger retailers, you know, they've 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 got increment, you know, they've got uh, many more things they have to sort of focus on, um, and they may have a dedicated CRM team. But you know, pers- doing personalization manually is very very time consuming, and and you know, we have built a platform that allows them to automate a lot of these processes. Now the traditional, many of the traditional ESPs, yes, they have the ability to to, to segment uh, a newsletter uh, or or kind of build a build an audience, but it is very manual and takes huge amount of time, and that is a blocker for the um, uh, for, for for the retailer being able to sort of in in you know build a proper workflow that lets them get this stuff out in a timely manner. So A, there's the resource. B, they don't have necessarily the data visibility. Um, and it's again, it's in multiple different places. They've got to stitch together if they want to get a, let's say they want to get a send an email to people who haven't shopped for for for, for six months, they've got to send it off to, to the data team to pull an Excel spreadsheet. They have to load it up. I mean it's 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 a nightmare. So so the blockages tend to be um, data resource and uh, data visibility, and also the the the, the resource to be able to personalise, um, you know, in a, in a, in, a, in an accelerated way um, based on the tools that they have. So both of those we solve at Ametria by giving them a, a, a you know a, a seamless way to access the data and, and stitch together the data from different sources, and B um, a, a a workflow where that they can set this stuff up and you know, we can do the heavy lifting for them. So um, there is a certain, I suppose, the third area where there's a bit of a blocker sometimes is, is just knowledge um, of, of how to do this stuff. Um, and also, you know, what to concentrate on, what to prioritise. And again, that's where our methodology comes in, because we can tell them based on the data we see and based on the benchmarks we have, where they have gaps and opportunities, so we can we can look at their lead conversion rate, and, and it looks good. And you're you know you've got great lead and conversion messaging, and you've got good open rates, and so on and so forth. But we can see that your twelve month repeat rate is below benchmark. So you know you 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 might be good at getting your first time shopper, but you're not actually getting them to, to shop for a second time um, based on your peers uh, and other you know best practices in the industry. So we can help them prioritize the strategic um, initiatives that they put in place um, by looking at that data through through the methodology process. So again, that I guess you know that's that's a knowledge gap which we aim to fill um, with our you know with our best practice and our methodology framework. Right. Um, and then, so my next question is on integrations. And I've done a number of integrations with Ametria. And as you'd expect from a broader platform, um, it's not plug and play. And there's generally been kind of an integration with an ERP um, and various other kind of um, 
pieces uh, of various other systems and various other kind of bits of data that have been pulled in. Um, so what are some of the kind of issues or challenges that you typically face? And then how do you kind of support that via your team? Yeah, it's a really good question, Paul, actually. Um, obviously, with any integration, you're always going to have you know hurdles to overcome. Uh, realistically, the, the biggest issue we usually come across uh, are those legacy platforms that James spoke about. So generally, you know, an ERP, something like that, might not always be in tune to providing a metric of real-time data. But obviously, if you think about our ultimate goal, what we want to do is empower the marketer to have that real-time data to hand to ultimately give them the, the biggest advantage over everyone else. So what that really means is what we want to do is, is help the retailer find a way to get that data into the platform to, to basically take as much advantage as they can. Um, obviously, sometimes... As I'm sure you're aware, Paul, James, those solutions need a little bit of fettling in order to, uh, to and a bit of outside thinking uh, to think about how we can get them in. But generally, we always find a way to do it. Uh, but generally, the actual integration metric is pretty forward, uh, pretty straightforward, should I say. Um, ultimately, we always find that as long as a customer has enough support, and each and every project actually does have a support model around it, there will have be a whole technical project management team that will support every integration with the metric. Uh, we'll generally always succeed and get over some of those hurdles. Great. And um, is there anything that clients can do to ensure or kind of get their data to a good point for a platform like um, a broader platform like Ametria? Like, do you have any tips for kind of, um, yeah, improving the kind of data and the data structure? Yeah, again, another really good question, Paul. Uh, and what I first we'll start off with is, uh, first and foremost, uh, my, myself and my team are obviously there to help them. As part of the solutions consulting function, uh, we, we built out a team to actually help our customers uh, prepare for their onboarding, to answer those questions about, you know, what's going to be expected of me, where does my data need to be? Um, and it's obviously one way of, of looking at that um, problem, overcoming that initial kind of foundation. Um, but secondly, we need to factor in that Ametria operates over a retail architecture. Our platform will actually primarily be aligned with a lot of the data that the, the customer already has. So I'd probably say that if not all, if not most of the customers speak to already have the level of data that we need to, to create the actionable insights in Ametria, a lot of it is it's around the configuration. Uh, there's generally very little data cleansing or manipulation that needs to actually happen. Uh, to get the data into a metric. A lot of it's more of a, a mapping process where we will run a kind of white glove service to aid the customer through the scoping to talk about what their contact fee looks like, what their product uh, kind of structure needs to be in a metric to get the most out of it um, and things like that. And um, I guess linked into this, what is the overall client onboarding process? So for, for those listening who haven't worked the metric before, how do you help them? Un how do you understand their unique requirements, and how do you ensure that they're brought on to the uh, and involved in the project from the start? Yeah, another really good question, James. And obviously, it's one of the most important bits, right? Making sure that the onboarding is correct to make sure the customers get the most out of the platform. Um, in terms of how we help the customer, uh, we have a UK-based uh, projects team. Uh, that are all metric experts. Uh, we've actually got an NPS score of 82 for both the onboarding and the support side um, of the uh, metric team, which is obviously great. And we're really proud of what we've done to be able to get to that point. Um, but we actually split each onboarding into four, uh, four steps, basically, into every onboarding. 
one of those initial steps is where uh, the team and I will be responsible for scoping. As you're both aware, it's a really important activity of any, any project, right? No matter how big or small it is. Um, and what we primarily do is to make the customer aware of what activities need to happen before they sign with Metria, so they've got that upfront confidence that they can achieve what they want to from the platform. Also, we want them to, to give their buy-in, right, to the project to make it as seamless as possible. So ultimately, we need to understand what needs to integrate, um, and so we can hit the ground running with the project to make sure that we have as, as smooth as possible delivery. Now, I spoke about those four steps and, and approaches to, to the project. Um, obviously, the first and foremost is the scoping. This is where we kind of think about the, the big picture, right? What is our ultimate goal? Uh, we talk about the what's, uh, the why's, the how's, the when's, and the kind of who's that we are delivering this for. That then obviously forms the backbone of the project before we move into the build stage. Now, this is where we obviously understand exactly what we're going to be building out, what data feeds need to come in, what campaigns are aiming, and what our primary goal is. Uh, and then we'll build a project plan off the back of that, which is owned and managed by our technical project managers, which will then be used throughout the whole of the project uh, as our kind of Bible for, for the integration. Obviously, we're moving into development at that point. That's where, you know, we've, we've got our resource on the side. We're building our APIs. We're testing and then finally QAing all of that data. Then we go into the third stage uh, or step, which is go live. So this is where we press that massive, big, red, shiny button on this nice new product that we've been building over the last few weeks, and we turn it on. At that point, then all the data starts to flow into the platform. We can start triggering those automation campaigns. The team can start sending out broadcast campaigns. And then we start to see the conversions, right, of those customers that we're re-engaging. And then one of the final stages of, of that onboarding is a really nice one, in my opinion, which is the warranty period. So this is where we add those extra few touches to the onboarding, that extra bit of polish. Uh, we smick, you know, we fix some of the small bugs that we found during that initial go live. As, as we all know, there was always a few little ones. You know, we needed to add that data field in, you know, bits and bobs like that, and we just integrate those last few bits. Um, and they're basically all the stages of the uh, of the project, really. And as I said, they're all managed uh, by our technical project management team. Which are all made up of, of project managers who actually uh, come from a technical background. So they know the platform inside out. They know, you know what an API should look like. They know how to debug a Magento or a Shopify extension and really be there to, to kind of embed themselves in the team with the customer. Right. Um, and one of, the, um, one of the things that I know Ametra is quite good with is the international side of things. So um, I've worked on a couple of implementations where it's been um, a single Ametria account, um, but there's been like multiple price files and different stores of an e-com platform. Um, and various other complications around different types of accounts, et cetera. Um, can you talk us through how that can complicate things in terms of kind of the international side and, yeah, some of the strengths of a metro in that area? Yeah, absolutely, Paul. I can tell you that one. Uh, and one of the things I would just say is for um, a business that maybe isn't focused on retail, usually the international set of it is quite a good thing, right? We need to think about different moving parts, uh, what level are we going to promote the pricing at? Where do we need to redirect from customers? Do we need to promote language variations? But actually, for, for us, it's a really typical use case that we work with every day. Obviously, in retail, obviously, all of our customers are expanding and growing and, and branching out into this international space. So ultimately, our, our goal for the international setup is to drive down the time to market, right? So is that that they need a new Ametria account? 
to support a new territory that we need to plug in? Um, you know, or is that that we need to add a new listing to our, our product catalog to be able to surface um, product variations in terms of the, the title, the description, the pricing that's going to best fit their marketing and serve that territory the correct information? Um, one of the other points you also raised, Paul, was obviously the ability to have different uh, metric accounts set up. Uh, one of the really good things is that we can operate not only um, execution accounts, where obviously you'd have all your uh, lifecycle automations or your, your broadcast campaigns, but we can also create reporting accounts where we can set the account up to give the marketing team the ability to complete all their reporting in the, the currency for a given territory, um, while still being able to execute across all their territories in a single metric account as well. And actually, I could add to that that there are occasions where a retailer may want separate execution accounts. For example, they may have a, a separate marketing team in the US, a separate marketing team in Paris, a separate marketing team in London who want their own dashboards and unique set of, um, yeah, uh, of kind of um, data. So, so in that case, um, we may, you know, you may have a global rolled up account for reporting purposes, which, which reports in one currency. Um, but then you have the individual accounts, which can also be used as execution accounts by the different marketing teams. I mean, that's less usual, but it has happened on occasion. Excellent. A final question for me is, um, where are you guys headed in 2021? What, what's coming in the roadmap? As in, you know, what what are new features or what's being enhanced that's already there? Um, yeah, I can take that one. Well, um, you know, there's obviously um, a number of different um, themes that we are um, we are focusing on. One of them is is cross channel. As I said earlier, we have built out uh, SMS um, push notifications. Um, um, on-site personalization is is a is a is a big focus as well, and we've released the first uh, iteration of that. But we want to go further in that uh, area. Um, we are, as I said, uh, channel agnostic. Yes, for the moment, email remains the biggest communication channel. But who knows what where things will evolve in the next few years? So. Um, we are going to be focusing on, um, you know, well, going further with the on-site um, personalization um, and also building out further um, uh, improving on uh, other mess messaging channels. A second theme um, is around innovation, especially in the use of artificial intelligence. So um, our unique uh, AI cross-channel orchestration, which kind of, you know, allows for all that predictive uh, replenishment and predictive life cycle stages and predictive segmentation and so on. Um, we want to, um, you know, carry it on along, along that path to, to make sure that helps improve the customer experience um, and ultimately drive more revenue for, for the retailer. Um, and then the third big theme, I guess, is around e the ecosystem um, um, and other integrations. So we'd like to broaden our inbound and out outbound ecosystem of integrations. We we do integrate with a number of um, third-party platforms, but um, you know there are, there are as we all know um, um, thousands of them out there. So you know we listen to our clients, um, and if there's a requirement to to make an integration with a with a third party um, to be able to import their data and sync data across, then then you know we. We have the capacity to do that, so that's a that's another focus for for, for twenty twenty one. Great, and um, if if someone wants to um, kind of find out more about Ametria or has questions around the implementation or the features, um, how can they reach out to you or kind of yeah get more information? 
Um, well, listen, I'm always available for, um, you know, to be reached out uh, to personally, but um, the quickest way, I mean, if on the website, you know, is, is to ask for a demo because, um, you know, we can, we can, we can come back to them very quickly, give them the full demo of, of what we've got to offer, uh, what, what the platform offers, how it works, what the methodology is, how that works, how it drives value for clients, and so on and so forth. So, you know, both ways work. So I'm very happy to, to, to talk to people, um, um, but uh, directly, but otherwise, yeah, just go jump on the website and, um, and ask for a demo and we'll get it sorted. Fantastic. Uh, that's all of the key questions we wanted to ask. So, Thanks uh, to both of you, James, Toby, for coming on and joining us. Really appreciate it. I hope we haven't uh, exhausted you too much. <laughs> no, no, it's been very, very enjoyable. Enjoy, I, I, you know, I, I always enjoy talking about what we do. So um, thanks very much for, for having us on. Uh, you're welcome. And thanks to everyone, as always, for listening. That We hope it's been interesting and useful and you've got a better insights into the role of data platforms and, and customer marketing platforms. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the podcast. Share it with anyone else you think would be interested. There's a new episode every week. We've got really cool guest speakers coming on. And you can also get practical e-commerce tips from our sister Replatform TV channel on YouTube. So join us again next week for the final episode of our customer experience series. <laughs>